It's Law Talk with BJ, the podcast where trial attorney and legal commentator BJ Bernstein and her guests discuss the latest issues from around the legal world. BJ is a frequent commentator on television and radio. She's unique in that she not only comments on legal issues, having been lead counsel on numerous high-profile cases of national interest, but her relatable personal style allows the viewer to understand the law behind the headlines and why it's important. Now, here's your host, B.J. Bernstein. Welcome to Law Talk with B.J. I have returned with my awesome guests, three college students, Christy, Audrey, and Chris. Uh, Two are students at Georgia State University and one at the University of Virginia. And if you haven't listened to the other episode, we're going to just keep on with our conversation. And if this is your first one, you can go back. It doesn't require independently listening. But this episode, we're going to really talk about a legal toolkit for college. You know, your parents pack you up. They send you with the proper bedding for your twin bed and all the things, especially for the females to make it decorated the way you want, have everything that you need, give you the amount of money you need if they, you know, and and some basics. Um, But no one, I don't really think, gives you a legal toolkit. Anyone arguing with me about how much legal information you were provided as you start your college journey? Definitely. I don't think there was a lot of talk about how to protect ourselves legally if something were to happen in college. I think it was all about just protecting yourself, like, personally. Um, Say, you know, if something happens to your stuff, if your stuff gets damaged, what happens if, you know, you have a police encounter um, and if you're doing drugs and alcohol on campus. We don't really know. We're not prepared for that. And I think that's definitely something that um, should be taught to incoming freshmen. Audrey, any preparation that you had? I agree with that. I mean, I remember right when we moved in, we had uh, a program. UVA has something called Red Dot and Green Dot. If somebody's being uh, aggressive towards you or uh, treating you in a way you wouldn't like, they're a red dot, which is like a threat. And somebody who would step in and help you defend yourself is called a green dot. So I remember we went to a huge gymnasium, sat, listened to a talk, and that was pretty much all we got. Green dot, red dot, which I, what, was there any dis- constructive discussion of what's legal and not legal or just whatever pushes the dot and puts you in the, you know, away from green, you know, moving you from red to green? I don't remember much talk about legality when I moved in, except for my RA. I remember her telling me that fake IDs are a felony, and that's that's the legal extent that I got. <laughs> there you go. All right, Chris, what about you? Um, aside from the knowledge the, that I had before getting to college or going to college, uh, it wasn't it wasn't any information on how to deal with problems in college as it pertains to law and what to do if you were um, caught in a problem. Uh, or caught with, you know, a misdemeanor charge or what have you. Uh, I think that one thing that is big that they don't teach students in college is if they 
uh, do have an encounter with the police, how to go about um, reacting in the situation, how to address the officer, how to uh, de-escalate the situation so that it, it doesn't appear that they're coming off aggressive because uh, officers are trained to uh, come off initially aggressive because they're the ones that's on defense. So I think that it wasn't enough. It's not enough um, information on that topic. But as far as knowing about how to deal with things legally, I wasn't really educated coming to college. It was more so me knowing how to deal with it before. And in terms of education of what's legal and not legal in the state that you are in, where you're going to college, I mean, obviously, they're obvious ones. I mean, you don't stab anybody, you don't kill anybody. But, you know, we know from campus issues that that happens um, on campus. I mean, any anything on rules or laws that could potentially get you arrested? There was one thing. Um, I don't know if you remember this, Chris, because at our freshman orientation, I remember they um, brought out police officers, Atlanta police officers. And one thing that stood out to me was they were like, and it scared me, like it would happen to me, but I'm not, I don't do this. Um, they were like, make sure you don't jaywalk because I've watched, they watched people get run over at 30 miles per hour and like they died or something like that. That was like really something they were like, don't jaywalk, you know, look both ways before you cross the road. That was the only thing that really. Which is important because you're in a city campus. And if you watch how people Atlanta drive and right now add to it, you when you were not a freshman, now there are these e-scooters and e-bikes and there's all other forms of transportations zipping around your campus. And actually, the law hasn't even gotten its arm fully around that, not just in Atlanta and other cities and other campuses about how to deal with these and conflicts with cars and incidents and accidents and injuries. So that's an important thing to discuss. But, you know, again, as a lawyer and I look back on my life, it, it's bewildering that we don't have a legal tool, toolkit. And so on the legal toolkit and, and join in if you have some ideas as we're talking, as we're saying things. But I'm going to start with the basic one is, you know, let's say you are arrested and you need to call a lawyer. Who are you going to call, you know, who are you going to call? And it's, <laughs> I can put the Ghostbusters, yeah, Ghostbusters music, yeah. in, music in, but, well, you know, who, who are you going to call and how, you know, do you, do, maybe should you have that already in place a little bit of, or knowing where to go to get legal help? Or is, has your campus said to you, you know, there is a place here to get started on campus? I don't think that they tell us, like, no, a lawyer, just in case something happens. Like, I remember I was close to campus and my car got booted um, and I was so angry because I had just walked across the street and I wanted to take legal action. because I get really angry in situations like this. I was like, I need to call a lawyer. So I started calling a bunch of lawyers. So I think a simple Google search will get you the information you need if you ever need an attorney on campus. Because I also got into a car accident on campus. I got rear-ended. Um, and it ended up being like a police car, not a police officer. It was a police officer, but it was an unmarked car um, that rear-ended me. Um, so I don't think that, you know, it's the campus's duty to tell you, like... No, not which lawyer. But, I mean, do you think, though, that as you're preparing for school, that your parents or somebody may need to say, you know what, um, just in case we've already looked into it or here's a name or here's an organization or you have some concept of the process, um, the legal process. I believe that that's very important. I think that I've known uh, friends that have said that they've had a family attorney 
and have went through scenarios where they needed an attorney. And the fact that they've had one has helped them out, helped them to come out uh, better than somebody who wouldn't have not had an attorney on the, and a designated attorney for the family. So I think that um, the, uh, their parents, uh, students' parents telling them that, you know, you, you, this is the number to call is very important. But I also think that I'm not sure if this is already in place, but I think that having a campus attorney or uh, a few designated campus attorneys would be great because there are a lot of uh, cases and crimes that go on just in college campuses, and that's considered an a, a section of a different world. So for individual, you have the college campuses, the, the life of that, and then you have the outside, the, the college campus. So I think that having attorneys that deal with crimes that go on in the college campus life would be very beneficial for students and for staff as well. Any other thoughts on that one for our toolkit or let's put something else in our toolkit? What, do you, what else would you want to know more about? Well, I think drinking is definitely a tricky subject, especially on campuses, because you have authority figures telling you one thing, all of your peers are doing another. So you kind of have to feel things out for yourself, decide how serious they are and what repercussions you might face. Right. And the one thing is, you know, you could say, well, I'm going to get a possession of alcohol, which is like a misdemeanor charge. And depending on what location your school is, they may do it as a city ordinance. And a Sydney city ordinance violation tends not to be on your criminal record, but you're paying a fine. But you can be arrested, you know, just for um, being intoxicated in public alone, um, being a minor in possession. And reality is this, again, you know, there is a lot of alcohol on campus, and it's almost like the luck of the, you know, from above a hand comes down and grabs you on the head, and and you're the one who arrested, and all the people at the football game who smuggled in alcohol in there. I think it used to be when I was younger, it was plastic bags, which and when you because they quit letting you have bottles where men would slip it in their socks. And you would put the alcohol in a plastic bag and then put it in the front of your shoe. Is that so gross? I mean, I want to think about it now. Um, but, you know, that desperate to get alcohol to be able to drink at a football game, you know, when we know that it is illegal. And, you know, that brings up another discussion of are the laws really realistic with what our society does? And we're just putting at risk. Um, are we putting at risk young people of having violations of the law that everyone is doing. Um, it's a catch-22, but, you know, would having at least the basics to know whether it's a misdemeanor or a felony, um, if there's a, um, a situation of a difference between buying it for other people. Um, and then the other part is realizing the liability civilly if you're sued. For instance, you know, when you're a drunk driver and if you hurt someone, then you know, you're going to get sued and a judgment can follow you for a very long time because people buy insurance. It may not be enough insurance to cover how serious injury is. You know, the law will set a certain amount of insurance that you need to buy, but that's ne nearly not enough to cover someone if, God forbid, something happens to you. Um, are those things that it's just, that's just too much to hear? Or you would like to say, you know what? I could use a sheet of paper that says in the state of Georgia, in the state of Virginia, in the state of California or Iowa, wherever I'm going to school. These are the laws and the potential penalties. Yeah, you know, I think it's a shame that most college students are not aware of 
what could happen to them legally um, if they get caught drinking and doing drugs or bringing stuff that they shouldn't be bringing to places. So I think that they should implement something where it's like a freshman seminar or something like that, where they just tell you, you know, here's what can happen if you do this. Here's how much time you can serve if you like are caught with this, this and that. I think that would be a good deterrent, but I don't think that would. It would not solve it all. Solve I mean, I'm not all. naive about that part. I, I can even say that up front. I mean, you know, we have a clash between what people do and what the law says. It's the problem when the law kicks in and where you are, because let's say you're going to school in metropolitan Atlanta and then you drive to rural Georgia because you and your friends decide you're going to go up to the mountains for the weekend or head to the coast. And then you get arrested in rural Georgia, who, you know, it's one thing in the city of Atlanta if you have a little bit of marijuana. And it's another part if you're in South Georgia and as you let's throw in race, you know, and you get pulled over and next thing you know, um, you're facing something far more serious. Yeah, it's diversity in, in each law, which is why I think that uh, a document based on uh, where that student attends school is very necessary because, like you just said, if you go to a, a different area, their listing of crimes is different. A list of, list of crimes is different than it is in, in the area previously. So I think that that's very important. And they give us a uh, various amount of, of documents when we come into a campus. I mean, we get documents on a syllabus, on a course, or what we need to do to successfully pass a course. So I don't think it would be that much of trouble for a university to uh, print out these documents full of laws that's in that area for the students to have. And if, if, if after that point, it's on the student. I mean, you're going to have good and bad individuals uh, in any way. So you're going to have people who are going to buy by the laws. You're going to have individuals who choose to, even if they have the law right in front of their face, to not follow it. And it's on them to, after they get the information, to read the information. Because that's after that, they can't blame anybody but themselves. But I think that um, until they have that in place, it's still more so on the university uh, to educate these students. So part of freshman orientation and possibly even a course at some point on some of the basics. And I mean, I will say this, it's almost, yeah, I hate to use it this way, but citizenship training to a certain extent, that that bridging the gap from being a, you know, a young person and definitely a minor to turning 18 and under the law, you have a lot of responsibilities. Um, you know, the the fact that you need insurance on your car is not your parents' um, duty. That is yours, you know, legally in the sense of as you're driving the car and you have to have the proof of insurance, that's you who are making sure, you know, there's a lot put on you at 18 that you just you're not necessarily prepared for. So perhaps, you know, adding those adding those layers, um, but realizing at the same time that we are in a world where um, your idea of what should be legal and someone who's 60s idea of what should be legal are incredibly different. And the law mirrors more what someone who's 50 or 60 believes, you know, as we see changes makes sense. Um the other thing, you know, there's a lot of talk about in in terms of um, when you're on campus, and we talked about safety in the last episode some, but we didn't talk about sexual assault. Um, and that's a very difficult topic, but one that is very much 
um, needed to be spoken about and, and part of it. So first of all, when you first started college or at any point in your college career, was there any discussion about, A, what's legal and not legal in terms of sex um, and how to be safe um, as you're dealing with someone and dealing with potential sexual harassment or sexual assaults on campus? I think that was a cliche uh, phrase that was used to uh, start a movement, the say no, say no phrase. We've all heard that from a younger age, but there wasn't a detailed description of what that actually means. You mean say no to sex? Well, say no if, okay, if, if somebody, or not necessarily say no, excuse me, if somebody says no, that means no. Ah. And that's and that's a phrase. And so it's more so, OK, no, but it's not there wasn't any uh, there wasn't a list of what could happen or uh, emphasis on the law of what could happen if if, if that person persists. And then also, I think that it, it wasn't a um, as far as the the what what no meant or what harassment means. Because I think that there are some, there are a lot of people who are doing it, and they know that they're doing they're they're doing it wrong to a person or they're uh, harassing them. But then there's some phrases that could be said that, uh, based on the culture, a previous culture that wasn't wrong at the time, uh, is now wrong because and and so that's uh, it could be deemed as harassment, and these individuals would know that it's very serious. You know, the topic of, of, of sexual harassment and rape is very serious. They go hand in hand. But I think that it's very uh, important that, you know, because, for example, you had Freak Nick one time in Atlanta. Right. Atlanta right. was a huge festival that it's made a comeback. It's but, made a comeback, but it's, a, it's more of a family-friendly comeback. They yes, have a concert. No, I remember in the right. old days, and I lived in Midtown Atlanta, and I was like, there were a lot of cars and a lot of people and major partying right in the middle of Peachtree Street in, in Atlanta. Right. And Wait, but how do you know? You, you're too young for this. You we were told uh, about it. No, nah, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit before your time. <laughs> <laughs> no way, man. Go ahead. Um, but I think that um, it, was, it was more people said it was rape culture. Rape culture was born then. And the, the act of grabbing uh, 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 a man grabbing a female's parts, a woman's parts, was... I'm not saying it's acceptable, but then it was more so, okay, it's happening. But, and so then it wasn't. It because was, of the partying. Right, because the atmosphere. Some idea of partying, atmosphere, a lot of alcohol, a lot of drugs. Everybody was in and out of their cars. There were thousands of people. And, um, but. But it's, it's, but it's, st it's still wrong. Right, no, thing, no, no, no. Yeah, it was wrong then. It's wrong now. It's wrong but, now. But, but there's a perception, you know, and, and, and it, let, let's be honest. I mean, between music, film, everything, we are bombarded with these images and these things, and it's contradictory to what maybe is, feels right for a particular person. You know, it's right. an assumption that that is okay with you. It, it, and it hasn't but, left. And it hasn't it's, left. It has not left. So that's why we still have people who think that it's, okay to do that now but if if there was a, a uh, system put in place to assure them that no this is not okay education education education, education. Dealing, and that's where the, the dealing legal with sexual issues exactly. and the legal sexual issues right. because you know your parent everybody's afraid to talk about it I mean, we'll, we'll sing about it we see movies about it but we actually don't have conversations and certainly your parents 
right. don't. or And they don't know necessarily the atmosphere. They think of the atmosphere that they had versus the atmosphere you have now. It's completely different. And you sex is on the, the, the topic of sex and the act of sex is more prevalent in t- today's society than it was uh, then. And we have different cultures, various cultures of LGBTQ, uh, those communities. But I think that they do a, a job of bringing up, um, they bring up the idea of safe sex. And they place a lot of emphasis on giving out free condoms. I've been to colleges where they you, you can walk into the dorm hall or where you go to get your room keys, and there's a, a bin where they would keep peppermints in, and they have condoms in it. Exactly. But they don't yeah. give you a pamphlet that says, okay, now you got your condoms here, but this is the, the laws of what happens if you don't follow through. If you don't—if somebody says that, that this is wrong or gives you a list of what sexual harassment is or what that is, but then again— it's very subjective depending on the persons that are involved in the act. One person may say that this is sexual harassment and that I'm very harassed at this point, but then somebody else may say that it's not. So that's a very touchy topic to try to tackle because it's subjective. But I think that if there's a, a basis on what sexual harassment is and for, even just from this, the smallest thing to a word or an, an, a, a, a somebody touching somebody else and inappropriately, uh, we can work towards eradicating the problem. But uh, until then, it's it's just going to keep going. That rape culture, which was not dealt with during the time, it's just going to keep happening. And, and I'll just say this, just historically, because of my age. Yes, there was Freaknik, but long before and forever, it seems like, you know, going back, even before my time. Right. Um, it may not have been that party, but there was something that happened whether it's at a fraternity, fraternities and sororities, you know, we're seeing a lot of changes there. Um, I've represented um, some young women dealing with those issues um, and what happens and the, and the assaults um, that happen in, while that type of partying is going on. So it's not just limited to that and has right, been there not. for a very long time. Christy, you're looking at me like a dying yeah, to tell me something. Um, I just think the extent to... College is telling you about sex on campus is just here, take a condom, make sure you use a condom. It's almost like they're urging you to, to have it, right, to, to have engage. sex. Exactly. So but if you're gonna urge people by giving them condoms to protect themselves, you also need to tell them about how to protect themselves against violence in the sexual realm of things. Like there's a lot of college campus events that happen that are orchestrated by the campus um, that a lot of students go to. So it's large groups of people. They can be um, the students can be coming drunk, high, you know, and they can also be on like a social high where they are around their friends and they think they're, you know, up here, like on another level. So they can be inappropriately touching women and a lot of bad things can happen in those situations. And I just think it's important for men and women because men and women do experience, you know, sexual assault in many different ways. It's important for them to know that there are people to talk to about it and to get the person who is offending them, uh, you know, into the proper judgment that they need. Because I think a lot of people that experience sexual assault are scared to reach out to someone and tell them what happened to them or what's happening to them. Um, but I think that they there's a lot of counseling on campus that they should go to if they have ever experienced sexual assault. And it can also happen with teachers um, or professors and stuff like that. Like, you know, God forbid that happens. But, you know, don't but, be but, afraid. But professors can take an interest yeah. in you. I mean, that 
I mean, and I didn't have anything inappropriate, but I remember at one point, you know, the professor, oh, let's have lunch. And I was like, at first you're like flattered because I'm such a good student and I love my topic or whatever. And then you're like, oh, maybe this is a little weird. Yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe this isn't normal because your intellectual side is totally excited about this professor. It's your favorite class and they want to talk to you further about your paper or whatever. And the next thing you know, you're like, wow, that's two times going to lunch with them. That's weird. I've I've seen stuff like that in school where I've had professors talk to students and it made me feel uncomfortable. I wasn't even the student he was talking to. Like, I've been in situations like that where I'm like, wow, like if I were that girl, I'd feel uncomfortable in this situation. So I think that it is important if you feel uncomfortable with a professor or a teacher, you know, try to seek out to your, um, you know, advisor say you know I want to change classes you know but I don't know like I I know that's just like GSU that they just say you know protect yourself using condoms but like like what do you guys do like in the your university like is it just condoms and just we have the same thing I I remember that there was a box of condoms in the hallway of uh, my dorm for the whole year and we had that green dot talk that kind of also applied to, you know, sexual assault if somebody's pursuing you in a way that you do not want to be pursued. But besides that, you know, we had the constant presence of condoms and that was about and it. And condoms are important for, I mean, skipping everybody's judge. Again, you get into all these things when we're on a podcast about people's idea of when you should have sex and what context. But the realization over the years of one, birth, two, um, health. You know, the spread of STDs and other things are very serious. HIV, incredibly, incredibly, um, and probably one of the main driving forces in condom availability for students and protection in that way. But I'm sitting here listening to you all, and I'm a little bit shocked that there's not more discussion of the basics. And I think I should already know this in some ways, but I'm not on campus like you are. I think that a lot of it's a bit antiquated because there were issues with older generations, like with the spread of STDs. And so that's why we have condoms. But I don't think universities have completely caught up with, you know, issues like sexual assault and rape. Although there, you know, is there are, are there any discussions of, you know, what Title IX does and in, in reporting and how the school is to react or anything with regard to that that you've heard of in your experiences? Title IX? Yeah. What is Title IX? See, there we go. All right. I'm going to have another podcast on this for sure. Because, I mean, there are, you know, a whole structure of things of when you are the victim of violence on campus and particularly sexual violence and laws that apply and potential lawsuits um, with regard to um, sexual violence and reporting and what's to be done and man, you know, a little bit akin to with child molestation over the years, it's changed where if a child is at school and talks about being assaulted, um, then that triggers mandated reporting and an investigation occurs so that you find out that a child has been assaulted. Um, so something something akin to that and way more than we can get into now. But this, I, I got to say I'm a little shocked um, that there's not more um, because I know there are lawyers who specialize it. Um, I know that there, particularly in fraternities and sororities, there have been a number of lawsuits across the country where you have parties and you're providing alcohol. And, you know, at those parties, um, someone is incredibly drunk and is sexually assaulted. Um, 
And that that becomes part of the culture of, you know, it turns out that the fraternity um, is potentially trying to specifically entice certain women there and intentionally giving certain amounts of alcohol in order to be able to um, have sex, believing that it's consensual. But there's an argument to be made that when you're intoxicated, um, you may not be able to have the ability to fully consent and or the question of force, you know, force under the law. Um, for rape, again, many states define it differently, but it's not just holding a gun or a knife to you. Um, you know, physical threats um, and different forms of force can be sufficient under the law to convict you of rape um, and with very serious consequences, such as, you know, mandatory minimums of 25 years in prison. You know, and then so it's clear that that is news to y'all and that is something that we will cover in the future. I'm so glad we talked about this one. And um, but anything else that, in terms of that you can think of now that you feel like in this area, in terms of interpersonal relations with your classmates that that you wish schools would do better on for your safety, whether it's sexual safety or physical safety? Uh, again, I think mainly being able to know uh, how to deal with the officers on campus. Uh, I think that there are officers who are, uh, profile individuals and they're a little bit more aggressive towards those individuals than they would be the general public. Uh, but I think that the media makes it easier for those officers to be questioned and judged now because there have been various videos that have surfaced of past scenarios. Now, whether or not those officers were sentenced uh, correctly or uh, dealt with correctly is still a question to be answered um, because we've seen plenty of officers get off after they've done uh, used brutal force and were uh, more aggressive than they should have been and didn't follow through with the uh, the suit of the 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 it's the steps they officers have steps of what they're supposed to go to, through they're supposed to be uh pepper spray, they're supposed to be nice stick or nice stand, and then it's supposed to be gun. But we've seen officers go past that based on certain scenarios where they were wrong and videos have surfaced to show that right. they were wrong. And shootings. Right, and, and shootings. But I think that before it gets to that level, there have been uh, instances where people were stopped and they came at the officer instead of just complying and uh, playing the game to get to the court to be able to argue effectively. And I think that that's uh, a topic that most individuals coming to college, if they didn't have parents who were able to tell them that, then they won't be able to, to know how to deal with those situations. I've been stopped five times, and three of those times were late night. Like, I'm talking about two on, in the morning. On campus or just Around campus and then um, just in general. And I, I, I'm, I'm still sitting here today. And so it's... So you feel like, would it? did you feel like, how did you know to deal with your interactions with the officers? Because, you know, I know with officers, it can escalate very quickly. Right. You know, because one, depending on what their time of day, mm -hmm. where it is, um, then what neighborhood it is. You know, in other words, are they particularly in their mind already in a high crime area? So they're already more alert. Um, then there's profiling, racial profiling, um, all kinds of different profiling that, that's alleged. But when, again, do you think that there's something back going back, looping back to the school that you could learn more in terms of helping you to deal with that? Of course. And I, me personally, I've learned some information 
um, depending on the professor that I've had with my courses. But that's only because I'm studying criminal, criminal justice. Yeah, exactly. And, and as you far have as, a great one of your professors I know right, well yeah. and watches out for you all like a hawk, I think. Right. He has some great nuggets he gives us at times. Uh, most times I've, I've enjoyed I enjoy his class thoroughly. But uh, I believe that the way that I was able to deal with those uh, situations was because my parents always told me, yes, sir. No, no, sir, officer. Comply. Keep your hands where you can see where the officer can see them, uh, and and don't and just follow what he says, you know. And until everything is is finished, once it's finished, then if it's if you were wrong, if you felt like you weren't wrong and they stopped you, if you have if uh, footage evidence, then you could argue in court. But if you are aggressive from the from when they come to the car or from when the interaction starts, you it, these things escalate depending on which part of the world you're in, and you may not be able to argue. Uh, in the courts. And the majority of these officers get off because, I mean, number one, the court system is biased. And then two, I believe there's not a uh, witness, the victim, uh, besides the video footage that some of these officers, there were video, there was video footage and they still got off. So that just shows the the system's wrong. But I think that it's, if you're not there, it's hard to prove that you were, uh, you were handled wrong. And so it's mainly about being compliant um, and and waiting until you can get to the courts to argue effectively because in the moment you're not gonna the officer is the person that's gonna have the last word so it's 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 always about uh, they and they're, like I said they're taught when they come to the car to to be aggressive officers are not if they were if they were taught to come and be oh hey how you doing sir it, they they're on the defensive they're stopping you in the, in the middle of the night or in the daytime they're coming up walking up to your car. They're they're taught to come that way, but the majority of officers I've dealt with, after I, they realized I was going to be going to be compliant and listen, not be a, a pushover, but still be compliant and listen, then they more more all the time they've easily calmed down. And I've even gotten off a few times because of my attitude towards them. Now, the majority of times I haven't, but those my I've had scenarios with the cops, and I've I've still here. Now I'm not to say that other individuals have not have done the right thing and still been done wrong. And that's, and once again, a biased system. But I, for me, I think that it's more about compliance and education about knowing how to deal with these situations. So are you, like, being stopped in a car or, like, when you're walking by police? I was stopped in the car uh, mostly. So I do you fed. think, like... It's important and, to know your rights in that situation. That's, that's, that's true and, as well. And, and I will right. say this to everybody. I mean, uh, clear, clearly... And a lot of things you're talking about are in the in the realm of racial profiling. But stepping back even further, the car, I always say to anybody with a car, like, make sure your car is in perfect functioning order. Make sure your tags are right, your taillights not out. I mean, all those things, um, regardless, I mean, I know I had a taillight out and I got a ticket recently. I just paid it. But um, I also wasn't facing the same thing because I'm a 55-year-old white woman driving around. You know, it's a, it's right. I'm, I don't have them on guard. But even I know, you know, in terms of when the when the officer approaches, you know, I have my hands on the steering wheel where they're, they can be able to see them even, you know, as they approach, that I'm not making any sudden moves. You know, a lot of people think they're doing the right thing getting out of the car immediately. And that's actually the worst thing you can do at that point. You know, you know you're supposed to stay in the car. Um so they can come up and approach you. And then if you don't have your driver, you know, I don't keep my driver's license right next to me. But if I'm leaning to, let's say my purse has hit the floorboard, I may say, officer, 
um, I need to re- get my driver's license. It's in my purse that's down here. May I, you know, I'm going to lean over and get it um, because, again, you don't want sudden moves. You know, and it's sad that we're at the state that we have to do that. But at the same time, you know, anybody, anything can go wrong and, and you don't want it to. And you don't want and then you, you're trying not to have a ticket if you if you have done something wrong and. And and you and in your instance, as you're talking about, I hear it clearly from you. It is it is purely it is a very deep part of I want to be safe and I want to be alive. Right. Because these people have guns, and I do not. Or even if you do have a gun, then that's the other thing is you know, and it's legal if it's illegally being carried gun. You know, are you going to alert them to that? And then how do they react to that? Those are all things to consider. Christy, you're looking at me. Oh, taking it all in because like um, if there's like if a police is stopping, you said don't get out of your car. But I've seen a lot of videos where police are opening the car by themselves and like kind of telling you, you know, come out. So do you lock your door? And like if they try to unlock it, be like, oh, like, um, am I being arrested? Something like that. Like, I mean, that's a good question. Uh, You know, I have the exact scenario I can't say, but I just know in general, you know, most of the time they're not pulling you unless you're a suspect for something else, you know, like if they think there was an armed robbery down the street, then they're pulling you up fast if you fit the description of the car or whatever. Um, But normally, I always think of just staying put where I am and definitely not getting out because if you get out, then they can't, you're not in a contained place. And I think you put them on guard if you just jump out. That's my that's my general assessment of it. And if you think about it, not in terms of law enforcement, take a step back. If you know, if you're at a parking at a grocery store and you're in the lot and you see somebody that bothers you, you know, and you start to see them get out, you know, you're staying in your car to you to you feel like they've moved away and not going to cause you a problem. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Um, but what's what's hard is, you know, your fear that is based on real things that can happen, but it doesn't happen every day. But it, it but when it happens, it's really bad. And so h- having to be on guard all the time is a li- is is exhausting. Um, and, and, um, I don't, I don't have an easy answer to that yet. I don't think we're there that way in our society and, and what you have to experience versus what Audrey and I have to experience are are totally different or our Hispanic friends, you know, now there's a whole nother thing of, you know, immediately assuming because you're Hispanic that you may be here illegally, (laughs) you know, and being on on guard with that. Um, So there are all these layers that we're dealing with in society that have super serious consequences, which is why I think we're back to what the theme of this was, is if your school isn't going to do it, perhaps you need to as well, is to have a plan. Um, Hoping that you never need that plan, but having one and realizing that the innocence of the college years that we have nostalgia about may not really be fully what's there. I mean, there's some wonderful things that y'all have all had, I know, wonderful times and good friends in these years that you've been in college. But then you've had these moments where, as you talked about, you know, a, a, a concern that there's a shooting and that there's a lockdown, you know, I, that that is something that your generation is experiencing at a level that, that none of us could have anticipated and that you fact that you need to know about it. Um, but rather than be disillusioned by it completely, 
I think it's starting Honest Talk, which y'all have all participated in today, and I am grateful for. Um, and so as we come to a close from this episode, I want to just mention um, the tea that I suggest to drink. Everybody has different ideas about how to drink tea. I think this may be an older person thing with the hot tea. <laughs> so um, I'm enjoying a butterfly pea flower tea that I chose because it gives you a sense of calm and anti-stress. So maybe I'll pack this up for you for your exams <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> during you. the year. Um, and thank you again. It's been thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This podcast is not to be construed as legal advice. With any legal issue, you should reach out to a professional attorney that practices law in the state and area of law for which you need information or consultation. Law Talk with BJ does not establish an attorney-client relationship, which is only formed when you have hired an attorney and signed an engagement agreement or contract. It's Law Talk with BJ Music Theme, written and produced by Atlanta Audible. This podcast copyright 2018, BJ Bernstein, Esquire. Bye.